Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today we're going to talk about induced lactation for adoptive moms with Dr. Jack Newman. Dr. Newman is a pediatrician and he's been practicing only breastfeeding medicine since 1992. He established the first breastfeeding clinic in Canada in 1984. He's currently the co-director and co-founder of the International Breastfeeding Center in Toronto. Hi Jack, how's it going? Well, Good, thanks for joining me on this podcast today. Uh, so today we're going to talk about induced lactation for adoptive moms. And I guess my first question to you is, why do moms who are adopting babies want to try to breastfeed? What are the benefits uh, in breastfeeding an adopted baby? Well, uh, the same as uh, the benefits for the mother and the baby of uh, breastfeeding a baby that they have naturally. Uh, uh, there are all sorts of uh, immune factors, for example, in breast milk. Uh, uh, we have good evidence, for example, that mothers who breastfeed have a decreased risk of breast cancer. Uh, there's a whole list of things that breastfeeding does for both the mother and the baby. I think in the situation of uh, a uh, mother who was unable to conceive, uh, there's also the question of uh, her feeling often that uh, her body has failed her. And uh, this is a way of sort of getting some of that uh, confidence back in their body that they lost when the, uh, they found that they couldn't have a baby. Of course, it's not always uh, a maternal issue or the woman's issue, but uh, it's still often the mother who blames herself when she can't get pregnant. But there are a number of mothers who also uh, uh, have had many natural children or some natural children, and uh, uh, they want to adopt a baby for all sorts of reasons, including there is this baby in the family who the, the mother, the biological mother doesn't want to keep, or there's a child that's been abandoned, or, you know, all sorts of reasons. Uh, there's, uh, and these mothers too, uh, have the uh, previous experience usually of having breastfed their own natural children, and so uh, they want to do it with this uh, adopted baby as well. Right. So if a, when a woman goes to see a health care provider, what can the health care providers say to the mother regarding her chances of making a considerable amount of milk if she were to induce lactation? Well, uh, it's going to be uh, very difficult to, uh, to predict how much uh, milk the mother uh, will produce. Uh, my point of view, and I hope that the other health, that the health provider will also have this point of view, is that breastfeeding is a lot more than breast milk. It's not something that is appreciated by a lot of people in our society, but in fact it's very true that the act of breastfeeding is much more than uh, the milk. And sometimes I um, compare that, uh, you know, we don't tell 
uh, an infertile couple, for example, that just because you can't make a baby doesn't mean you should stop having sex. There's much more to making a baby than uh, having the baby. And so why not breastfeed uh, this baby? Yeah, because it's a relationship. It's something much more than just the milk. I would say that uh, based on uh, uh, Lenore, Lenore Goldfarb's work, uh, she states that about uh, 20 to 30 percent of women can actually bring in a full milk supply. Obviously, that means, though, that uh, 70 to 75 percent don't bring in a full milk supply, but most of them bring in some milk, and some of them bring in quite a bit of milk. So, uh, you know, there is that side of it, too, that it often works very well, and sometimes not so well. And sometimes some others really bring in very little milk, but they can still breastfeed. Are there certain women who are more likely to have a fuller milk supply? In other words, are there certain characteristics of women that would make it more likely for a woman to have a more abundant milk supply? Yeah, I think that uh, a woman who has had a uh, uh, previous successful experience with breastfeeding a biological child is more likely, but it's not a guarantee there either. Uh, I think some women who have had uh, fertility issues because of something like PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, are less likely to bring in as much milk, but we've had uh, some interesting cases in the past where they, they brought in quite a bit of milk. Women who have had breast reduction surgery are less likely to bring in a full supply, but uh, uh, you never can tell. We had another, we have one amazing case where uh, uh, a baby was born in 27 weeks gestation, was adopted by a mother who induced lactation and was able to uh, bring in a full supply. That's wonderful. Um, so if a, if a healthcare provider is seeing a woman who comes in and wants to work on inducing lactation for, their, for her adoptive baby, what are the issues that the, that the provider will discuss with a mother? In other I words, think, medication and uh, uh, pumping and things like that, if you could just talk about those things. Okay, well I think the, uh, the first thing is that I, it's, it's, worth, uh, it's worth talking to the mother-to-be uh, about what she expects, because I think that in some cases we've run into uh, the mother was basically saying, you know, for me it's all or nothing. If I can't bring in a full supply, then I'm not interested. And I think that this is a difficult situation. We can't promise her anything. And I think that uh, this mother, if she's going to go ahead and induce lactation, she really needs to have uh, realistic expectations. As I said, uh, 75, maybe 70% of women are not going to bring in a full supply. And I think that the thing that we need to discuss with this mother is that there is, again, more to breastfeeding than just breast milk. If the mother decides to go ahead, then we generally, we don't have to, but we generally uh, do put them on hormones. Uh, we try basically to simulate a pregnancy. In other words, we want the mother to have relatively high progesterone levels in her blood, relatively high estrogen levels in her blood, and relatively high prolactin levels. This is not a complete simulation of what goes on during pregnancy because there are other hormones of the placenta that are involved in preparing the breasts for breastfeeding, but it's an approximation. So 
what we generally do is, of course, the longer time we have, say, I guess in the situation where a mother is going to have a baby by surrogate, they often know eight or so months before the baby's to be born that the, uh, that, that the baby will be there. And so this gives us an ideal situation because we have eight months to, provi- uh, to prepare. If the mother-to-be is, uh, only has three or four months, that's still pretty good. And what we do, as I say, we give them a birth control pill with estrogen, progesterone, uh, and they take it uh, up, up until about six or eight weeks before the baby is to be born. Uh, they do skip the uh, placebos. So we want the mothers on a continuous amount of uh, estrogen and progesterone. Plus, we also put them on domperidone to raise their prolactin levels. So, uh, up, so up until about six or eight weeks, the mother's on uh, three different medications. When the six or eight weeks comes due, the mother stops the hormones, the uh, progesterone and the estrogen. She'll have a bleed, obviously, but she continues the domperidone, and then she starts pumping. The reason we say six or eight weeks, it doesn't really have to be six or eight weeks, but the reason we say <clears throat> six or eight weeks is because the baby might be born a little early. We want the mother also to start pumping her breast at that time because then she'll have a reserve of milk and often it's very, um, it's very encouraging for the mother to have some milk to go with and when they start <clears throat> getting some milk about three weeks after they stop the, uh, the birth control pill, it encourages them. I see. So then they're pumping at that point. So they're done with the hormones and they're, uh, you're, you're recommending that they're pumping regularly in order to stimulate um, the breast response to the prolactin. That's right. And so then I like your handout that you have on the web about uh, not sort of implying that women don't need to be a slave to the pump, that they pump as much as they can um, in order to that in a reasonable way so that it's not such a labor of, of love, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. Because, uh, uh, I mean, many of these women are working outside the home. It's not going to be always convenient to, to pump their breasts. And again, the idea of pumping the breasts is uh, to have a little bit of a reserve. It's also to encourage them that uh, things are going right. And most of the mothers will, by three weeks of pumping, start to get milk. Uh, sometimes a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. So then, the, let's say the baby arrives and she, the woman has prepared herself with uh, taking hormones and she's been pumping. And uh, what do you recommend at that point when the baby's born, um, assuming that she takes the baby um, pretty much from birth? We, uh, yes, we have that advantage in Ontario uh, where uh, in many hospitals uh, they will allow the uh, adopting mother into the delivery room to take the baby immediately. Uh, and so uh, we can have the baby go to the breast and uh, start the stimulation of the breast by uh, more natural means than a pump. Uh, in many cases, the mothers won't have enough milk to, uh, to satisfy the baby to begin with. Uh, the question of whether the birth mother is willing to feed the baby is a very tricky and sticky one. I mean, we can't, uh, 
we can't encourage the importance of bonding by breastfeeding and then say, uh, you know, there's no danger in having the birth mother breastfeed the baby because she may change her mind about the adoption. And this, of course, is a disastrous situation for the mother who is adopting. But I wonder if we shouldn't give that opportunity to the birth mother. It's, I find it a very sticky and difficult situation. Right. On the other We've had quite a few mothers, uh, the birth mothers, the uh, the biological mothers, who were very happy to feed the baby for the first few days, um, and we haven't yet run into a problem, and I keep my fingers crossed, where the uh, birth mother has uh, has changed her mind. Right, right, great. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add about um, adoptive nursing? Sure, I think there, there are a number of issues, and I think, again, we really encourage the mothers to feed the baby at the breast, and if the baby needs uh, supplementation, then it should be done with a lactation aid at the breast, because, again, I mean, for many mothers, it's not going to be a question of exclusive breastfeeding, but it is a question of breastfeeding. The other thing is that uh, most of these mothers will need domperidone for a prolonged period of time. Uh, we find that if they start to wean off it or stop it, that the milk production decreases considerably, which is not what usually happens. Well, it happens, but it doesn't always usually happen with a mother who had a baby uh, biologically and then you know, needed domperidone for some reason, and then they can often wean off the domperidone without any trouble. So. We've had mothers, adopting mothers, on domperidone. Well, we've had uh, mothers of biological babies on domperidone for 18 months, two years, sometimes longer. Um, and very few have side effects. Um, it is a drug that's used for gastroparesis and other gastric uh, problems, and some people that have been on it for those reasons have been on it for 15 or 20 years, uh, uh, again, with uh, very few side effects. So. Um, it may be something that can be done. If the mother needs, the other thing that we often encourage is if the mother still needs to supplement the baby by around four months after birth, we encourage them to get off the lactation aid, because a lot of mothers hate it, I admit it. Uh, but we encourage them to get off the lactation aid uh, by starting the baby earlier than usual on solids. And what often happens then is that the baby, within a few weeks, is taking all the supplement as solids and also breastfeeding, and that often works very well. I see. That sounds good. Now, do you have a couple handouts on the web that are helpful for people to read regarding um, induced lactation and the protocols that have that um, some of the protocols that are recommended? Can you share those websites? Of course. Uh, um, our website has some information on it. Our website is www.nbci.ca. CA for Canada. Uh, Lenore Goldfarb, who has made a specialty of this, uh, uh, because she was one of our, well, she was one of the first patients that we actually, and she, she shares this, so uh, this is okay. Uh, she's our first patient that we had enough time to go through the whole protocol because she, she had her first uh, and second babies by, by uh, surrogate. Uh, her website is www.asklenore.com, Lenore spelled L-E-N-O-R-E.com. Great. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. 
If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.